And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who's always wanted to go to the Boone Tavern. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And you know what? It's a gorgeous day today. We're on the mainland again. Ozzy, the beloved doggy of our family, one of them, is uh, who's on the floor next to me right now in the studio, and he had another dentist's appointment with the vet, and the vet is the dentist, but he's, uh, God bless him, he's just fine. I don't know about the vet, but Ozzy is just fine. And uh, he had, by the way, uh, last week, the vet took out four teeth. So he needed to have four teeth taken out, and Ozzy's not a big dog, uh, so, uh, but God bless him, he's just, uh, he's uh, tough as nails and just gorgeous and uh, very loving. And uh, Colonel Jeff, just before we turned on the tapes here, Colonel Jeff just went to the restroom, and as he walked past, Ozzy w- w- flipped his tail and wagged it, bump, bump, bump on the floor, didn't move another part of his body. And then uh, Colonel Jeff went in to to pee, and when he came back out, there goes Ozzy with that tail again, and it's very sweet, it's very touching. If you know dogs and you love dogs, you know, as Colonel, as the Colonel just said, well, he's, I guess he's not moving anything else, but he wants to let me know he's with me. And I said, that's exactly right. He loves his Uncle Jeff. In any case, we're on the mainland here, and Ozzy's fine, but we're on the mainland, and that music always gives me such pleasure and brings me up. And the Colonel, too. And, of course, that's the Mike Murphy Orchestra and the Patricia Blair Dancers, featuring boy tenor Richard Mirando asking the musical question, if necessity is the mother of invention, who is the father? Well, I'll tell you what, Richard, I think that's a pretty good question. It never dawned on me. And I always thought, well, whenever I thought of that, necessity is the mother of invention. I never quite got that, but I I think necessity is very wise. It's a wise thing to have. It's a wise thing to be. So, you know, what else could be the mother of invention? And that's a good question. Well, if necessity is the mother, who's the father? And Colonel Jeff immediately said, money. Money is the father of invention, and I thought that was a wise answer, too. What could be the father of invention? Curiosity? Boredom? Laziness? Now, uh, let's be honest. A lot of things get invented because people are just trying to get out of doing something. Uh, For instance, uh, Colonel Jeff mentioned this as, as a boy. He saw that when his mother went shopping and came home and the trunk had four bags in it, he knew that if he took two bags, one in one hand and one in the other, that would mean two trips up to the kitchen. But he would take all four bags and make one trip. He thought that was, well, pretty clever. 
And as he said, his, his mother always called that the lazy man's trip. And uh, so it's a good relationship there, by the way. But it's that's that's a that's an interesting response to, to something she might say. Okay, you know, I don't. Uh, I'm not. I'm. I'm not even sure that what what would be the father of invention, more necessity, or is the father of invention just saying, you know what, I'm watching this game right now uh, on TV, so what? Why don't we just stick with necessity coming from you, and I'll just take another nap. Well, that's fine with me. But uh, good for you, Richard. Uh, good musical question. If necessity is the mother of invention, who is the father? Football. I think the NFL. And uh, I, I think that's all I have for it now. Good question, though. And by Amazon and PayPal and my book. This is very these it's a great pleasure to talk about them because I think Amazon is the greatest company in the world because they do three things no one else can do. Number 1, whatever you order they'll get you. Number 2, whatever you order they already have. They don't have to go somewhere else to get it. They don't have to borrow it from someone. They don't they don't have to make it. They've got it. They have so much they're already loaded. And number three, the most important, whatever you order, they send us a percentage of it. Now, that's a, that's a great thing to me. And they send it right here to the show. And Colonel Jeff and I take that money and put it right in our box of cash that we are saving for our next big fancy fried chicken dinner with two drinks beforehand in a different place. And uh, so, you know what? I'm I'm grateful to... Amazon. Plus, you can get anything in the world there. So you know what? Go to Amazon. Not on your computer, not on your laptop, not on one of your phones. Go to our website. That's LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> well, you got me again with that one. I think then just... Sometimes if things just strike, it was perfectly ridiculous. And, and that that's a compliment, though. And uh, so good one. You do. You go to our website. And uh, we have a banner that says Amazon. Click that. And then go to sleep. Take a nap. Relax. Sure, you could watch a football game, too. But you know what? Just lie back in your gigantic easy boy or lazy boy chair they're not sponsors. I just think they make great chairs to lie back in. Put a magazine over your face and take a good nap. And we'll get you there. We'll take you to Amazon. And there's another banner on our website, which you may know is LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> Boy, that string is not in good shape, is it? But that's all right. Boy, PayPal is a terrific group, folks. They they really do make you feel like you like you're saving the world. And if you enjoy my show here, and why wouldn't you? And if you'd like to send us a few bucks to help out, and why wouldn't you? 
You can do it through PayPal because, you know, it's just my way of instead of saying, oh, donate this or pay what you like or join the Platinum Committee. I, I, I've never liked things like that, but I just like to say, buy us some drinks. That's a good way to support. There are different levels, you know, levels one through five, all the way up to we're driving to Florida. <laughs> it is great to have things recorded. You know what? That's that's a frozen moment in entertainment in life, and I and I like them. I still like that audience. I don't remember where I was, but it was a good set, and I was pleased, and I think they were pleased. So uh, you know what? Though do that. Look for the PayPal banner on our website. And by the way, every little bit helps us keep the old leg lamp lit and. We're very grateful to those of you who have sent money, and thanks to everyone who's about to contribute, too. We're very grateful for it. And by my book. That's right. I'm very grateful to you because I wrote my book, Spoiled Rotten America, which is very funny, and I put a lot of good, hard comedy work into it. And the book did really well when it came out, and I'm very, very, very pleased about that. And... We still have cases, cartons of the book, and if you want one, and why wouldn't you? It's uh, less than it would have cost you in the the bookstore, but you know what? They're now for sale. Signed, hardcover copies of my book, Spoiled Rotten America, now for sale at store.comedyfilmnerds.com. And I thank you in advance, because you know what? It's a good book. And I think you'll find it very funny and very informative. And I think just from you reading it, your doggy will wag his tail too. And that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. It is. It is. It's a wonderful thing to pass a joke along. If, if it's a good joke, you know what, folks? You know, you know the difference, and I know the difference, and Colonel Jeff knows the difference. If this is a good one, yes, pass it along to your family and your friends and your loved ones. And I think this is a good one, too. Uh, we both got a good chuckle out of this this morning. There's a big fishing village on the shore of a lake. But you know what? They're going through a really slow period. No one can, No one catches any fish. There's nothing that's catchable. No one comes back with anything. Their baskets are always empty, except one old man. He goes out on that lake in his boat every single day, and he comes back with baskets full of fish. And, well, you know what? He's happy, and that's he's doing his job. And the fish are doing their job, too. And one day, though, boy, you know what? The, the local game warden... Uh, keeps getting suspicious with this guy. What is this guy doing that he gets so many fish? And he goes over to the guy in the afternoon one day, and he says to him, uh, you know what? I'd like to see what you're doing, how you catch these fish, and I'd like to have you tell me about it. And the, the old man says, look, I've got a better idea. Why don't you come out with me tomorrow morning? And uh, we'll leave here at 7 in the morning, and you come out with me, come in my boat, and you'll see exactly what we do, exactly how I do it. And the game warden, well, nods and says, you know what, That's, I'll buy that. That's a good idea. 
Okay, sure enough, the next morning, they're both out there at five minutes to seven, right on that dock. And uh, the old man, the old fisherman, is just, he's not, he's not surprised. He says, well, he says to himself, this game warden wants to see. So they both get in the boat, and they go out, way out. It's a big lake, and it has this way to go left and this way to go right. It's a big piece of water. And they find the spot. They can't even see where they left now. And uh, the old man says to the game warden, Okay, here we go. And he reaches into his bag and takes out a big stick of dynamite. That's right. You heard me. And he, he flicks a big kitchen match with his thumbnail. And he lights the dynamite. And that fuse keeps going. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And the fuse goes, and the, and the old man just heaves back and tosses it in the water. And a second or two later, that thing explodes, and the water is covered with fish. That just knocked them all to pieces. And he starts, as he's rowing along, he starts, well, using his net to scrape the fish up and put them in the baskets. And, you, you know, and the, the, the game warden is... Frankly, just shocked and offended and horrified. And he says to the old fisherman, "What? I, I can't believe you just did that. Don't you know that, first of all, that's it's against the law. First of all, it's against the law. Second of all, that's it, it, it's well, it's it, it strikes me as cheating. You're not catching the fish, really. You're just knocking them cold or killing them. They all just come to the surface. And as he's talking, the old man takes a second stick of dynamite out, flicks the match a second time, lights that dynamite, and he just reaches his hand out to give it to the game warden, and he says, you're going to fish or you're just going to keep talking? <laughs> we like that. By the way, it's a fair question. Well, I, at that point, well, number one, I, I, I'm throwing the dynamite in the lake. I'm not going to ask, how. what's the fastest way to put this out? I don't know if there is a way to put it out. And I don't care. And I, in fact, I would offer him a big vacation every year out on uh, the island of Miloronia. I'd say to him, look, you know what? Catch some of our fish, and we'll cook them up for you beautifully. And by the way, you can't, you can't catch too many. I'll give you the number you can catch, and I'll give you the limit, because otherwise... That's right. You're going to visit the volcano. I'll bet you he keeps that whole village alive. Just from fishing like that. Everyone just sits there, bored all day long with their lines in the water. Not this old man. Boy, howdy. Folks, he goes He goes out there and fills his baskets. Anyway, I hope you like one. I hope you like it. Pass that along if you do. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show. The Poetry Corner. <laughs> Boy, that string quartet is still just beautiful. I don't know which member coughs. I don't know whether it's the viola player, the cellist, one of the two violinists, but he's got that cough. 
And folks, you know what? This is the same way. A good poem can move us. It can show us something we didn't know about life already from the point of view of the artist, the poet. And the poet in this case is Derek Walcott. He's from St. Lucia in the West Indies. He studied at the University of the West Indies in Jamaica. And he was born in 1930, and he's still alive. He's still doing fine, and I'm glad, because he's a terrific poet. And here's one he wrote called A City's Death by Fire. After that hot gospeler has leveled all but the churched sky, I wrote the tale by tallow of a city's death by fire under a candle's eye that smoked in tears. I wanted to tell in more than wax of faiths that were snapped like wire. All day I walked abroad among the rubbled tales, shocked at each wall that stood on the street like a liar. Loud was the bird-rocked sky, and all the clouds were bales, torn open by looting and white in spite of the fire. By the smoking sea, where Christ walked, I asked, Why should a man wax tears when his wooden world fails? In town, leaves were paper, but the hills were a flock of faiths. To a boy who walked all day, each leaf was like a green breath, rebuilding a love I thought was dead as nails, blessing the death and the baptism by fire. Isn't that lovely? Boy, oh boy. Again, a good poet can really show you something about life you just didn't know. So please pass that along by Derek Walcott, A City's Death by Fire. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. MMM, Triple M, The Magic Movie Moment. Oh, and this is a good one, too. Yes, I think you may know by now, I'm a fan of John Wayne's. Oh, I love the guy and of how he lived and how he smiled and quite a fella. And uh, this past, well, uh, about five days ago, I was on the road. I was in New York and Kentucky, and I was uh, working with Jerry Seinfeld. Those are always fun jobs. To open that show, he can fill any theater in the country, and he always gets us to a nice hotel. And I was there on the day before the show in New York, and I was watching, well, there was a, yep, a John Wayne movie festival going on on the TV. And uh, this one is from 1971 called Big Jake. It's directed by George Sherman. And it stars, oh, it's a great cast. John Wayne, Maureen O'Hara, Richard Boone, Harry Carey Jr. Plus, by the way, playing three of his sons, Patrick Wayne, Chris Mitchum, and Ethan Wayne. And Chris Mitchum is, uh, yes, it's one of uh, Robert Mitchum's children. And Patrick Wayne and Ethan Wayne are two of John Wayne's children. And they're really good. Patrick Wayne is a terrific actor. And Ethan Wayne plays his grandson, 
in this movie, who looks to be about six or seven years old. Boy, he does a great job, though. And this is a bloodier Western than any of John Wayne's others. And uh, he himself gets shot several times in the movie. And here's the triple M, though, the magic movie moment for me in this. His grandson, played by his son Ethan Wayne, his grandson, Jacob McCandles, has been kidnapped. And Wayne is, frankly, the only man, as they say in the movie, the only man big enough and tough enough to go get him. And Wayne's character is also Jacob McCandles. And he and his grandson, though, have never met. It's been ten years since his wife, the incredible Maureen O'Hara, tossed him out. And he's never met his grandson and didn't even know he was, his grandson was named Jacob. As, so as, I'll tell you what, as tough and mean as Richard Boone is in this, and Boone is great, and as hard as he tries to kill them all, Wayne foils him at every turn. And I'm telling you, that's, that's a triple, triple M, a magic movie moment for me. Because you know what? Boone is terrific in this, and he's a great villain. And his gang is a great gang. Harry Carey Jr., the great Harry Carey Jr., is uh, is part of that gang. But, folks, I'm telling you, Wayne goes all the way. And his sons, who hate him in the beginning of the movie, the uh, sons of Patrick Wayne and Christopher Mitchum, they don't like him at all. They don't like his ways at all. But you know what? He shows them every step of the way how you really act in the West, how you really make your way in the West, and how you really get done everything you need to do in the West. And it's it's very moving to see Richard Boone not get this at all. He wants that gold. He wants, he wants the money that has been uh, ponied up by Maureen O'Hara to get her grandson back. And uh, she does it. The only way she can do it, as she knows, is to hire her ex-husband, the biggest, toughest man there is. And, folks, it's really moving and it's really wonderful to see John Wayne and the grandson meet at the big climax of the movie. Were you my grandfather? And it's, it's just great. And it's great to see the great John Wayne, the Duke, make sure he plans everything out and gets them out of there. And, well, those bad guys don't get out of there at all. It's a terrific movie. It's a fun movie. It's a great John Wayne movie. Big Jake from 1971 with a wonderful cast. And I just saw it on the road in New York and... I couldn't have asked for a better movie. And uh, you know what? It's wonderful for you and me to know when things are going well. Even when it's not huge things, to say to someone, I could call home and say, hey, I just saw a great John Wayne movie. And you know what? It, it was a nice hunk of the afternoon for me. That's nice. You're in a hotel room and you're, well, you're stretched out in the bed with three or four pillows behind you, watching a John Wayne movie and ordering some 
you know, some room service for lunch. Folks, I don't know how you beat that afternoon. I don't know. There's nothing more particular I would want. There's nothing that if someone could say, hey, why don't you go outside and take a horse carriage ride through the park? By the way, that's fine to do. If I had my wife with me, I would have done something like that. But you can't beat a John Wayne movie like that. And uh, it's it's nice to know because Colonel Jeff had, uh, well, a bit of a tough week at that same time. And it was, a, you could call it awful. In fact, he called it awful. And things just seemed to keep going wrong that uh, he was he's producing a new podcast for Mike Murphy. And it's, it's just terrific. It's called Radio Free GOP. And uh, Mike's a great guy. Turn in on that if you if if you're if you're interested. He he's, he and Colonel Jeff are making a great show. But here's the thing: it took him for that first episode. It took him. That was a 19-hour day for him. And Colonel Jeff is not lazy. And uh, but boy, it took a long time to think it, to stitch it together. And he was so dead. He said to himself, "This was on Thursday, last Thursday." And he said, you know, that's it. I'm glad to work at all these things I love. But he said tomorrow to himself, at Friday, I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to do any work. I, he thought, I want to sit up in bed and I'd like to watch a John Wayne movie. But folks, it just didn't get there for him. He was doing uh, Allison's show, Allison Rosen, the great Allison Rosen, and catch her show too by the way it's terrific and uh but uh he was going to get there and do her show friday afternoon about four o'clock and i said to him by the way that's kind of comical with you on a day when you say i'm doing nothing i'm just gonna lie back and relax still he does works with oh allison's great and makes a great show with her and to do another another podcast that takes a good amount of time and thinking and work so that's not doing nothing, but he was going to do it. And then after that, he was going to stop off and get some groceries and just take him back to his place and and then see what was on TV right then. But you know what? It wasn't to be that way. He was so tired after doing Mike's show that when he got up Friday, just getting over to Allison's was awful. The car overheated. And if you know anything about that, even if you don't, it sounds like what it is. It's awful. And there, there was nowhere to stop. There was huge traffic. He had to get over to Allison's, and he did. But he got there, and he thought, I can't just leave the car here. I've got to get there. And he did. He got that car clunking over there. And he was a little late, as I said, but he got there, and they made a great show. But getting there was, well... It was a tough job. And after the show, after recording it in the studio there, Allison, who's pregnant, by the way, her guest had locked his keys in his car. And they didn't know what to do. Allison couldn't do it, and the guest couldn't do it. But Colonel Jeff can do it. Maybe he's not the colonel over there, but he is here. And he can do things like that. He got a hanger from Allison, and he bent it just right, and he opened that fellow's car with a bent hanger. Now, it didn't take that long, maybe only five minutes, but remember, it's 105 degrees outside, and he's dead tired. He's just dog-tired. 
But he did. He got that car open with a bent hanger, and then everyone all right. He said goodbye to the guest, said goodbye to Allison, and then he went back to his car. So he called the AAA, and they said their truck would be there in 25 minutes. So he sat in the car with the windows open, because remember, it's 105 degrees. And now it's about 5.30, quarter to 6. So, all right, you got to sit there, you got to sit there. In exactly 25 minutes, they called him back and said, well, sorry, it's going to take more time. It's going to take another 20 minutes. Okay, so he stayed in the car another 20 minutes, exhausted and overheated himself. And yes, you guessed it, in exactly another 20 minutes, AAA calls him back again and says, sorry again, buddy, but it's going to take another 25 minutes. And here's where Jeff said, and I think you and I would say the same thing, hey, you know, if you started this whole thing out by saying to me, it's a crazy Friday afternoon, and we're going to need an hour and a half to get to you, I would have said, fine, no problem, just walk down the block to a food place that's air-conditioned. And then when your man got to my car, he could call me, and it would have taken me just two minutes to walk back and meet him. But now it was too late for that. So they said, no, it's another 25 minutes. I don't know, it's another 25, another 20. So now... Folks, it took a total of two hours for them to get to him. And at that point, poor Jeff looked and sounded like a man who'd been passed out in a desert for two hours. And he goes home. So when they said, are you ready? He's got that voice. Uh, uh, I can't remember. And, uh, and Jeff had to get back. The colonel had to get back to his home because, well, you know what? He had a sick cat. He has, He's a great guy for animals. They just love him. And uh, his cat was sick, and didn't, but didn't look good at all. Didn't look like a good sick. This looked like, oh, man, wait a minute. What's happening here? And the cat, he thought it might be something with the cat's heart. Cat was a little, was well, sick and having trouble breathing. And he's, he's got a car that's just broken anyway. But he said, so now it's Friday night. And he called the vet up, and the vet said, bring him by. And he said, let me get my kitty over to the vet right now. And he did. He took that cat, not in the broken car. He has another car, a 1968 Ford station wagon with the phony wood paneling from 1968. And he likes it. Jeff is good at all this stuff. So he put the cat in the 1968 Ford station wagon, the vet said, well, you know what? It is something we're going to have to take care of. And he could then take his car, the broken car, to the broken car garage. And then, you know, and he was still so, so this was most of Saturday that went by. Now, here's a guy, remember, who was so exhausted, he said on Thursday night, I, I I just need some rest. I need to stay in bed. And he hasn't. And so Sunday came up. He got up and he made some coffee and he had a couple of eggs that he made himself there. And folks, he started, he just turned on the TV and he started watching Peter Gunn. I don't know if you know that show, but it's terrific. As Colonel Jeff just said, you know, sometimes you watch an old TV show and you remember it as being great, but then when you see it again... It's just okay. It's not great. It's just kind of okay. 
And then he said, but Peter Gunn is different. He said, it was terrific. And it was a festival. They were showing Peter Gunn episodes all day. I said, so so that's great. So you watched, uh, you watched what, three or four episodes? And he just looked at me and said, I watched 10. And I, I had to laugh because sure, why not? Good for you. Watch 10 episodes of Peter Gunn. And uh, you may remember the theme song from that of da 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 Henry Mancini wrote that. The great Henry Mancini. And maybe he wouldn't be so happy hearing me sing it, but maybe you know it by... By that that that's uh, that song and says you know what no matter what had gone on Jeff said on that Sunday okay you know what today is mine I'm dead tired and I just want to lie in bed and watch TV it was that full day of Peter Gunn reruns and he watched a full day of them and you know what folks you have to learn to appreciate as as the Colonel said to me just before. Plus, I felt a little guilty feeling so so tired and feeling so annoyed that this had gone on and this hadn't gone on. And uh, and he said, we feel, always feel a little guilty about that. And I said, I know. That's why he and I are close. That's why you and I are close. Because we know that lesson very well, don't we? You know what? Sometimes you just turn on the TV and you see a Peter Gunn episode and you, and you smile and say... That's pretty good. I think I might just watch 10 or 12 of those. And that's a great way to be, to never lose that, to always know that, never forget that. It reminded me, frankly, of the night I spent with Seinfeld the week before, or the week that Jeff was going through all this, and... We did a great show at the uh, the Beacon Theater in New York, and then that night we flew right after the show to eastern Kentucky to a city called Richmond, and then a ways outside of Richmond, oh, just I think 15 or 20 miles, a town called Berea, which is B-E-R-E-A, and uh, they have a college there, and we stayed, we checked in to the Boone Hotel. And the next morning when we woke up, Friday morning, we went to breakfast at their restaurant in the Boone Hotel called the Boone Tavern. And we had a great time. Well, you know, you shower up. We all got together about 9 o'clock. It was just a few hours sleep, but we're happy. And we're going to go see a movie, too. And that's that's always the schedule. When uh, you when you work with Jerry, that they they have this pandit out, and his producer Kevin was there, and we went down to the Boone Tavern and had a very nice breakfast. And I said to them, you know what? Because there were portraits all over the hotel of Boone. That's right, of Daniel Boone. And I thought to myself, and they thought too. Well, this is Boone. Boone area here. I wonder why this is such a Boone area. And so we uh, we met at nine o'clock the next day in Jerry's room, and then we just walked down to the Boone Tavern for breakfast. 
and the thing is, we were all wondering, what is the, what is the Boone stuff? This really seems like Boone country, which is fine with me. Um, boy, he's, he's a great hero. He's a classic. And there was a portrait of him next to the fireplace in the hotel lobby, but a real portrait of the real guy, of the real Daniel Boone. And uh, Jerry and Kevin and I all had the same thought of, it doesn't look like Fess Parker, you know, because that's who you get to love. But I knew a bit about Daniel Boone, and I said to them as we sat down, you know what? I remembered reading about him that Daniel Boone was everything we think of him. That is, a real frontiersman, a tough leader, head of the long hunt. They used to go on a thing that he led from North Carolina called the long hunt. And that meant they would go out hunting. They'd head west for six months, a year, a year and a half, and they would hunt and well, salt the meat down and put it in carts, big carts. And they had mules and other horses. And then eventually they'd go back to their community, to Boonesboro. And they had caught enough things to live on for another year themselves. I knew about that. And I also knew, I remembered thinking that, wait a minute. Plus, another thing he did all the time, many times, he was the leader of multiple trips guiding wagon trains through the Cumberland Gap. And I said to them, isn't that here in Kentucky somewhere? And that's a tough trip. Kentucky is beautiful country. But they those were tough trips. He had many Indian fights on those trips through the Gap, a lot of them. And they knew him, and he had his wagon train, and they would go out and fight. In fact, his son, Israel, was killed on one of them. And the Indians called off the fight so Boone could mourn for his son. And they had little biographies on the back of the menu there. And that's another thing that's wonderful to run into on a trip like that. It's another, well, how do you like that? Here we are at the Boone Tavern, at the Boone Hotel, in a place that really feels loyal to the great Daniel Boone. And, uh, of course, I knew him from, uh, well, the classic, you know, the Daniel Boone show. I mean, come on, who didn't know that? Fess Parker was one of the greatest actors. And, boy, he could do anything on that show. And he was big, he was six, five, six, six. And he really looked like Daniel Boone ought to look. And I remember that theme, Daniel Boone was a man, just a big man, and he fought for America to keep all America free. I'm just seeing this because maybe you'll remember it, and I remember it, from the coonskin cap on the top of old Dan to the heel of his rawhide boot, the rippinest, roaringest, fightinest man the frontier ever knew. Well, that's sure true about that, and it was... Uh, Fess Parker as Daniel Boone, and, uh, oh, Ed Ames as Mingo, his Indian friend and partner, and Patricia Blair, who played his wife, Becky. And I'm here to tell you, by the way, that this, I thought this is a kid, and this is something really worth celebrating, too. You still see a photo of them 
You can get on any internet site. And Patricia Blair, terrific actress, could do anything. But also, by God, she was gorgeous. And I mean American pioneer woman, gorgeous. Really, really pretty. And had the long skirt on that the, all those skirts would go down to the ground, you know, just over their shoes. And uh, with a belt to cinch it in. And a blouse that uh, couldn't be cinched in. And I'm saying that because, God bless her, she was a healthy kid, as my dad used to say. And she was. Boy, Patricia Blair, I'm telling you, that's a great wife to have named Becky. I, I love my wife, and, I, and you love yours, and you love your husband's. But, boy, I'll tell you what, that Patricia Blair was all right. And Ed Ames as Mingo, and I'm, I want to tell you this because Ed, I had a chance to meet Ed Ames a few times at the Friars Club here in Los Angeles. Ed Ames was a great singer, a popular singer, and he, on his own, and he with his brothers, had uh, many recordings that were big hits. And then he got uh, this job also to play Mingo, and he was terrific, a big, deep voice, and he himself was 6'4", six, 6'5", and uh, he played the uh, educated Indian friend for Daniel Boone. But I'm telling you, he was just such a treat to run and to sit next to him at those tables at a benefit sometimes and just to sit there and smile and say, holy mackerel, that's Ed Ames. And he played Mingo. And you may remember, folks, he had Ed Ames had a classic episode of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Now, he was coming on because he was Mingo. He was, hey, and you know all know the great singer and the great star, and he plays Mingo on the Daniel Boone Show. Please welcome Ed Ames. And they did. He was very, very popular, and he, and he should be. And at the, they had set up, a, he was very skilled at the throwing the tomahawk, and he really learned how to do that, and he could do it just, well, just great. And uh, they set this up. As part of his appearance on the show, so they went out to the big stage area there, and they had a cowboy set up in uh, wood that they had carved out of wood, and with a little with a drawing on front, paper drawing on front of a cowboy, cowboy hat, and and he had his gun out. You know, of course, not a person, and uh, you know, but it was is man sized, and he's there, so he's sort of setting up a tough image there. And he's got his arms held out and his legs spread, and he just, he, he looks like a tough cowboy. And Ed Ames was going to show Johnny and the people at home how to throw a tomahawk and how he knew how to throw it. And <laughs> you may remember this. I hope you've seen it. If not, you can still see it anywhere on the internet. But this actually happened. Uh, Johnny said, okay, go uh, go go ahead. Let's, uh, let's, let's see you do it. And he took that tomahawk about 15 feet away. And uh, he did a stance, and he put you know one leg back forward, and he just he came around and he hurled that thing, and it went just right. Well, to an extent, because it landed, it went thunk, it went, you know, it really went, and it went thunk exactly in between the cowboy's legs. And that's right, that word was legs, and it was folks, it was right. 
He couldn't have done that again. You couldn't do it again a hundred times and get a better shot. It was right, blade first, funk, right into the <laughs> the cowboy at that exact spot on his body. Not too low, not too high. I'm telling you, this is where you would have it happen if you were looking for something funny like that to happen. Well, folks, there was he saw it, everyone saw it, and Ed Ames started to laugh. The audience was laughing, and uh, Johnny Carson, as Colonel Jeff pointed out, he, Johnny Carson did a, a couple of great Jack Benny tapes, you know, a, a takes, rather, of a, the expression of just kind of looking to one side and then the other. And then he, when the audience, one of the great things about Johnny Carson, he knew how to wait. And the audience was laughing, and Ed Ames was laughing, and just when they, the laughter peaked and it was going down, uh, Johnny uh, stepped forward and said, of course, that's <laughs> Mingo Moyle, Frontier Rabbi. Now, he says that line. That's pretty good line. Uh, you know, uh, Moyle is, the, uh, is a rabbi who does circumcisions. Folks, the place exploded. I mean, and that... And Ed was laughing so hard he had to lean on Johnny out, you know, on the on the stage there. And boy, oh boy, that's another moment when you say, I'm glad I'm alive for that. And I know that, folks. But you and I know the same things. Homer is Homer. Pluto is a planet. So remember, as always... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. Be well and watch your tomahawk throws. We'll see you here next week. <laughs>